Okay, our next speaker, Dr. Yentzer, completed his medical education at Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and then stayed in the Philadelphia area for another year while completing a transitional residency program. Later, Dr. Yentzer moved to North Carolina to do clinical research fellowship in dermatology, where he studied under Dr. Feldman. During his three-year fellowship, Dr. Yenser has been an investigator and co-investigator on numerous clinical trials for a variety of skin conditions, including psoriasis, acne, atopic dermatitis, acne, actinic keratosis, rosacea, and seborrheic dermatitis, and, he's, and has subsequently published over 50 articles during his short time. After his fellowship, Dr. Yenser has stayed on while uh, with Wake Forest to complete his residency in dermatology. Please help me in welcoming Dr. Yenser. Thanks so much for that introduction. It was interesting listening to that earlier talk. Us physicians, we have really no clue what goes on in the PA world, but I'm very honored to be here. I think it's uh, very great to give this talk. I, it's not going to be any boring dose-related studies or um, basic science material. This is adherence in dermatology. and. I think really a fascinating subject of study. I was so naive when I started my medical education. I remember standing in clinic back in Philadelphia and saying to my attending, you know, it's so great to be in dermatology. You see these psoriasis patients, they have horrible disease, just horrible, and they're gonna be motivated to use their medications because they wanna get better. Yeah. yeah, I was a little wrong on that one. So this is me, and uh, now I'm a resident, uh, long, long done my fellowship, and um, this is how you can contact me if you have any questions. So let's get to it. So I have no conflicts of interest, because I wish I did. I, I mean, I get more money. Um, but a special thanks to my uh, mentor, Steve Feldman. He's a great guy, and wouldn't be here without him. And, and, my friend and colleague, Dr. Taylor, helped keep my sanity during residency. So some objectives, things I want you to get out of this talk. How do we measure patients' adherence? You can measure adherence in multiple ways. Uh, people can draw blood levels, and it's been done in uh, anti-seizure medication adherences. Uh, you can have a patient uh, have a diary at home. You say, here, go take this log and tell me how you use the medicine. You can look at pharmacy refills, get pharmacy data. Did they actually even fill the medicine? And then I'll talk about, of course, what we do at Wake Forest, which is spy on patients with a little electronic microchips, which I think is a little more fun, a little CIA meets MD. Uh, I want you to be able to describe the typical pattern of adherence that we see in dermatology and recognize motivations why patients don't use their medicine, because they don't. They say they do. They're lying and uh, learn tips to help improve their adherence to topical therapy in particular. So first things first, non-adherence. Why do patients and people not use their medicine? They use it for a not use it for a variety of reasons, but it's not just dermatology. It's all fields of medicine. More important fields of medicine, such as you know, Coumadin therapy, you know, they measure that and uh, see that patients don't use their medicine that can save their life, or you know, patients don't use their medicine when they go to the STD clinic. And let me tell you, if I had something dripping, I, I'd be taking that medicine. But they don't. They don't take it. And uh, so it's very common. All fields of medicine, uh, dermatology is no exception. What can? Why is this important? Because a patient comes back to your office. They say, Doc. 
it didn't work. What are they saying? They're saying it didn't work for me. They used it maybe once or twice, came back, and it didn't work, and you're scratching your head, and so you give them another medicine and another medicine, and you start intensifying your treatment. Soon you have your little eight-year-old on cyclosporin, and they're killing their kidneys because mom doesn't like putting on the triamcinolone. So, and of course, increased costs of healthcare and therapy, and we don't need all that. So why do they not use their medicine? Well, they're poorly motivated. We've seen this time and again. The teenager drug in by mom, hats pulled over the eyes. He's not interested in getting his acne better. Mom, she's pointing at the kid. You see that? You see his acne, how bad it is? Yeah, he, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah. So, and then you got the lack of trust in your physician. We'll get to this later. I have some uh, good quotes from a recent rant from one of my friends who had a bad experience with a physician. They don't trust you. They're not going to use the medicine. They're going to go home and say, that guy's a quack. I know more than him. I read something on Google. And they fear the medicine. I mean, my God, these package inserts, if I actually read them, I'd be scared and never use the medicine. Uh, they're written by lawyers. And after being in clinical trials now for a good while, I see how side effects can get on the package insert. You know, anything can happen during a clinical trial and therefore it goes on the package insert. You, you rub some cream on your, your left hand, you got a cold. Well, this cream can cause you know, upper respiratory infection. Probably not, so you know, gotta be careful of that. They don't you know, use the medication because of fear, burden of treatment. You know, patients think the, the treatment or uh, you know, actually doing, going through with the treatments worse than having the disease. They're forgetful, they're lazy, or they otherwise just give up. But there's really three reasons that I think patients are the primary reasons why they don't use medicine. One, they just get frustrated. You know, they, they tried it once or twice, uh, it didn't get them 100% clear, and they're frustrated, they give up. You know, we're in America, they like their fast food and french fries and they want instant you know, gratification. It's inconvenience, you know? They have to put on a topical grease? Are you kidding me, twice a day? This is crazy talk. This is just crazy talk. Yeah, patients don't want to put stuff on. You know, you tell a patient to put, wet their hair, put this Dermasmooth oil on, put the shower cap on after that, and then crawl into bed next to your significant other. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. That's not, I like the wet pajama wrap the best, that's the best, yeah, that's just not gonna happen. And then of course back to fear of side effects, which I, you, know, you can't emphasize enough because I've seen this time and again. And um, you know, we try to avoid certain code words like, um, steroid you know you say steroid to your to a mother you know of a kiddo with atopic dermatitis she's thinking you know anabolic steroids first of all and thinking you know east german swimmers and you know oh this is going to happen to my kid hey, heck no she's not putting on you know so you say this will thin your skin if you use it too much okay she she might might take a dab of it on the skin no she's not going to use it so you try to avoid overemphasizing these things. What do you do? You call it a cortisone. So it's like hydrocortisone. It's over the counter. They're familiar with that. It's safe. It's reassuring. And then there's this thing, uh, skin cap. Anybody remember what skin cap was? Anybody? 
No? Okay, a couple, yeah. So this was an over-the-counter product. It was a, essentially a, a zinc spray, like head and shoulders in a spray uh, for psoriasis. Uh, but it had unbelievable efficacy in this over-the-counter spray for psoriasis. And docs were scratching their head. You know, they're like, all right, I gave, you know, patients treatment. Why are they getting better with this over-the-counter spray? Well, it actually had clobetazole in it, you know. And uh, the docs are still scratching their head. They're just like, no, 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 no. I gave my patients clobetazole, and they didn't get better. What's going on? There, there must be something special about this product. Maybe, maybe it has better penetration. Well, they tested the penetration. No difference than the prescription clobetazole. They said, well, what about the zinc? It must be the zinc that augmented the clobetazole. Uh-uh, no, no difference that has been tested. And actually, the group uh, who got the, the zinc actually did a little bit worse than uh, the clobetazole alone. So why is it so effective? Fantastic compliance, that's it, no questions. They weren't afraid to use the medicine, plus they bought the medicine. They went and took their health care in their own hands, bought this medicine, weren't afraid to use it. Hey, it's like head and shoulders, and they spray it on there, it goes on nice. Hey, I'm, I'm already starting to see clearance in like three or four days, this is great. They keep using it, and now they're clear, they're super happy. Some hurdles in, the, in dermatology that I'm sure you all run across. We as doctors and physician assistants, we don't cure things in dermatology. I mean, sure, sure. If you, you have a, a squame that you cut off someone, they might be cured. Or you have a basil you cut off, that might be cured. You give an antibiotic for two weeks for an infection, that might be a, a cure. But most dermatoses, we do not cure. We treat. There's no cure for psoriasis. There's no cure for eczema. Uh, and so this is a lifelong treatment. And they, you know, waxes and wanes over time. And so that's a you know, difficulty in treatment. Um, we use topical medicines, which are particularly uh, difficult to use in America. I mean, guys, us putting lotion on, forget it. I mean, girls are so much better putting on makeup and thing, lotions and potions than us guys. And then, of course, we're taught in dermatology that, you know, you've given corticosteroids time and again, and they, over time it stops working, uh, this phenomenon called tachyphylaxis, which we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. So at Wake Forest, how do we measure compliance? So these uh, look like ordinary medicine bottles, but they're really not. In those caps are those little electronic microchips uh, called MEMS caps, medication event monitoring systems. They're high-tech clicker counters. They tell us exactly the date and time the patient used it, all the way down to the second. So on here you can see, you know, First week, they used it really well twice a day. They skipped Sunday and made up for Tuesday and so on, which is really good. And we've actually adapted these to topical medication tubes as well. So how does this compare to if you give a patient a log and they come back and tell you how they used it? Well, this is just one particular study. The orange is what they, they said they did. And they all, and they all of course, said they uh, used it fairly well. The yellow is what they actually did. And well, you can see that's much more variable up and down. Except for, of course, patient number seven, very OCD, anal retentive. Uh, I, I like to call them the accountants, okay? This, this is from one of the atopic dermatitis studies I did. I, I just was having fun one day and went into the uh, clinical studies unit and started taking photographs of patients' logs, because I, I knew they were, some of them were lying, because I, I was looking at the data. 
And this is what I call the account. And you see, you know, he, he uses different inks. So you can tell he's filling out exactly at the time. He, he even, you know, whited out a spot. Make sure this is 9.30. Oh, at 10 o'clock, I took a Tums and an Advil. You know, very, very OCD. And how did he use the medicine? Well, yes, he was brilliant in using the medicine, just as he should. Probably even used it a little more than he said. And then you have the average clinical study patient. This is the patient that comes in. They're paid to be in the study. They're initially motivated, like, oh, great, I'm going to get in this newfangled drug study. And, and uh, the first week, it looks like they're using it pretty well. They missed a, you know, a day. And you got different inks. And then all of a sudden, you look at the last two weeks. It kind of looks like the same ink there, huh? And what do we see? Well, what a shock. Uh, they, they were very, very good at using that first week and then tapers off over time until they come back and, and see me. And then this is what I call the liars, or AKA our normal patients. Uh, this is a person who filled it out clearly in the lobby, all same inks, seven, eight, seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, eight, nine, nine. I'm like, are you kidding me? And of course, I mean, this is fun stuff. You gotta love this stuff. You know, hardly use the medicine. And, uh, but yet, this is still a person who was in a clinical trial. They're told that we're monitoring their adherence. We give them the log. We say, we're monitoring your adherence. So I'm like, all right, well, what, what do real patients do who are not in clinical studies, real world patients? Well, we actually studied this. We took kids from our clinic, less than 12 years old, right in clinic, just gave them the medicine. We said, here's triamcinolone, 0.1%, use it twice a day. Standard treatment for atopic dermatitis, right? Never told them they were in a study. No consent form. Just gave them the medicine with the MEMS cap, said come back in a month, and then we had them follow up in one month, uh, another month later as well. And oh, by the way, this, this was proved by our IRB, uh, which we can talk about later if people have ethical issues with that. <laughs> So, uh, and here's what they did. So, if you look at num up at the top, number one, that's 100%. That's where they should be, okay? That's twice a day adherence. Yeah, three days into the study, they're down at 30% adherence, okay? And it continues to taper over time. And then, oh, what's that, a little blip? That's the office visit, right? That's the one month follow-up, little blip. They go quite back up to 100% adherence, but a little bit. Yeah, they're like, okay, I'll start to use it a little bit. And then it starts to taper over again. Oh, of course, yeah, we found out that visits to the office matter, you know, white coat compliance. It's, all, it's uh, a powerful tool. And this is just yet another study. We've, we've done a ton of these studies. This was a psoriasis study. The top is uh, what the patient said they did. Yes, doctor, I, I, I use the medicine religiously. And uh, of course, the pink lines, what did they actually do? You know, did it very well for that first day. They're motivated to be in this study. Drops off after the first few days. You see a few little blips in adherence where uh, with the follow-up visits, it's called the dental floss effect, as uh, Dr. Feldman likes to say. You floss your teeth right before you go to the dentist, right? You don't do it otherwise, except unless you're me and you're OCD and you go to the Harris Teeter at 10 o'clock at night because you ran out of dental floss. And then it just keeps going down over time, okay? And you can actually me measure this rate of loss in 20%. In this particular study, it was 20% every five weeks. Well, eventually, that adherence is going to reach zero. And there is a term in dermatology that we now have, a uh, newfangled term for adherence reaching zero. Anybody know what that is? 
Yeah, that's tachyphylaxis. It's not the more you use the steroid, the less it works. It's the less you use the steroid, the less it works. I mean, what a shock. I don't use the medicine, it doesn't work. And this is essentially what it is. It worked initially, it didn't work later. That's because they stopped using it. It's not this progressive loss of uh, receptors. You know, we get these theories that, oh, there's some sort of tolerance to steroids in particular. And well, if that were the case, then if you gave them another cortisone of the same potency, in theory, they shouldn't get better. But they do. It improves again. Isn't that interesting? And then, it, you know, but people don't always recognize that, and they might give them something more potent. It's just simply a patient's loss of willingness to apply the messy topicals. And you see this uh, in anonymous surveys. You get a little more honesty from your patients when they're not faced to you uh, directly. This is psoriasis uh, patients. Only 40% of them admitted they used the medicine as directed. The rest, you know, said no. And, and who can blame them? This is mind-boggling. This is actually from a book on psoriasis and scalp psoriasis treatment. Uh, I'm sure you all can't read that from the back, but it, it, it just says the first phase of treatment is this active descaling. You gotta put on the salicylic acid or urea, and then you wash it off with this ointment. And then there's a second phase, it's this clearing phase. You wanna use the D3, and then maybe a little topical basil, and then if that doesn't work, maybe a UVB comb. And then, oh, if that doesn't work, we'll throw in some methotrexate, and then after that, we're gonna go on to the next phase. The next phase is just D3 during the week and clobetazole in the week and then taper off the clobetazole to just be on the D3. Well, I don't know about you, I was lost in paragraph two reading this and no one's gonna do all this crap. This is, this is nonsense, it's too complicated. A uh, patient leaves your office with like 10,000 instructions, they're not gonna do it. So I like, I like Steve Feldman's approach to scalp psoriasis treatment, similar clearing maintenance, et cetera. And how do you get them clear? Use the topical clobetazole. Do you need a descaling agent, salicylic acid, all that sort of stuff? No, you do not. The barrier of a psoriatic plaque is a very poor barrier. Same in atopic dermatitis, same in lots of other skin diseases. Very poor barrier. You don't need this descaling. This is just an extra step, an extra hassle. They're not going to do it. So get them just to use the topical clobetazole. Maintenance, get them to use it as they need. So you get them clear after a week or two or much improved, then you cut back and say, okay, you can use this you know, every three days or whatever you want to do to keep you clear. You be the judge, right? And then they, of course, come back in a couple months and or you know, maybe six months later and say, yeah, my scalp psoriasis is back. It's not working as well. Well, you got to get them to use the clobetazole again. What if they are a referred patient to you and they've tried everything. Oh, Doc, I've tried everything. Nothing works. I'm sure you've all heard that before, uh, including the topical clobetazole, which you want them to use. What do you do? Well, you get them to apply the topical clobetazole. Uh, it sounds um, kind of ridiculous, but really, you know, uh, patients a lot of times might be resistant. You say, well, okay, okay. It may be a similar active ingredient or even the same active ingredient. You say, well, let's do it my way. You might have give, had this medication before, but let's apply it and do things my way just for a week. Anybody can do anything for a week, just for a week. You get them to do it for a week, it starts working. They were oh, wow, it actually does work. Some additional tips and tricks to help uh, improve your patient's compliance. Uh, actually, it's adherence now. Compliance is no longer politically correct. Uh, 
maximize the quality of your office visit. Well, that should go without saying. Educate your patients. Patients, if they know about their disease and understand it better, can treat it better. Uh, it sounds pretty straightforward, but a lot of times, uh, us as physicians, and I'm sure you maybe as physician assistants as well, you know, you're just getting busy and you assume that people know what psoriasis is or what acne is, how it works, but patients have such misconceptions about their own body. So giving good education is key. Deal with uh, side effects um, proactively. So, you know, use something like stinging equals working. You tell them it's going to sting a little for the first couple days, and you say, that's good. That's what we want to happen. And that way they're not afraid, like, oh, something's happening. Oh, it stings and burns. I don't like it. But you say if that means it's a sign of it working, they'll put up with it. They'll put up with it for those first three days. That barrier will heal and stop stinging. Let them choose their vehicle. Let them take a little bit of uh, responsibility and control in their own uh, health care. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Confronting noncompliance, uh, you know, that's a little trickier. It's easier said than done. You know, I never ever anymore ask a patient if they use the medicine. I say, how often do you use this medicine this week? Maybe two or three times? And they say, no, doctor, I used it four. <laughs> and of course, you applied it. You, you, they should have been doing it twice daily. But shorten the apparent treatment time. We'll go into that more. Uh, you know, these are chronic diseases and can be quite daunting to put this greasy topical on for the rest of their life. They're like, oh, forget that. How else can we encourage better compliance? Uh, you know, establish that relationship with your patients. It has been measured in other studies, which we'll talk about. Involve them in the treatment plan. You know, if they can't afford it, they're not going to get it. So I always offer my patients both brand and generic products. I say, look, you got yourself a foam, a liquid, a gel. Here's, what, here's your options. The foam's a brand name. This is a generic. This might, you might like a little bit better for here or here, but this one costs like 10 times less. It's up to you. You know, a lot of times they opt for the, uh, the generic, but once in a while they will pay the extra money for the nicer vehicle. So just give them the option. Don't scare them with the side effects. You know, how often do we see clinical relevant atrophy in dermatology from topical corticosteroids, very rare. And usually you can pick those people out. It's usually the young ladies who have one small spot of psoriasis on their shins, and you didn't ever tell them to stop applying the clobetazole. They keep applying it and applying it and applying it and applying it and applying it, and they come back to you six months later and they have a little spot of atrophy and that little spot of psoriasis. But generally speaking, you almost never see it because, as we've seen, patients stop using the medicine anyway. Choose a fast-acting agent. You know, again, this is America. We want instant gratification. So, you know, using something slow-acting uh, right off the bat and nothing else, they don't want to wait three months on methotrexate to get better. So, while I love methotrexate and it's definitely a good drug to use in the right patients, you should also use in in addition to that some sort of fast-acting uh, topical medicine like clobetazole. That way, they can see that the uh, medicine's working and trust you a little bit better. See them back for a return visit. I think this is also essential, especially after the first visit. So if this is a new patient to you, uh, you know, you want to get them on the treatment plan, but then see them back after about a couple weeks for their uh, first follow-up visit. And then from there, they can be seen every couple months. Uh, you know, Dr. Urizzo likes to say, what you tell patients at the first visit is patient education. What you tell them at the second visit is an excuse. So I kind of buy into that mantra and, 
you know, try to do the best I can to educate them the first visit and see them back fairly quickly. Giving uh, clear written instructions is vital, I think, in this day and age. Patients walk out of your office and they completely forget what the heck you said. They forget even before they get out the door. I had a patient go out the exam room to the front desk and completely forgot ex almost everything I sold her, and, and it's ridiculous. So other ways, Dr. Feldman says, oh, I give them my cell phone, and it, it engenders trust that further encourages good adherence, which may be true. I don't think anybody in this room would give a cell phone to their patients. Uh, um, that might be a little too much, but, you know, uh, establishing a good relationship is, I think, key. I usually give my patients my email. I'm in cyber cyberspace like 24-7. A uh, nice little prospective study that was uh, published on patient satisfaction and outcomes uh, surveyed patients three days after their visit and said, you know, those who had a uh, good visit, uh, a pleasant visit, had better outcomes at the one-month follow-up. So it does make a, make a difference. To... So this is a, some quotes from a friend of mine that recently sent me this ranting email about just a horrible visit she had to some physician. And uh, uh, I got her permission to use some of the quotes and uh, for this to see some things wrong with this. He never looked me in the eye a single time. He spent the whole time verbally dictating into his laptop. And I am quite frankly shocked about how the doctors make the decisions about people's health care rather than it being a discussion or an attitude of teamwork. Well, you know, we already talked about some of the ways to address that. I think definitely you want to get them involved. You definitely want to sit down, smile, look them in the eye, basic 101 interviewing skills. Uh, you know, we all care for patients, otherwise we wouldn't be here. But the problem is we need to communicate that to the patients. We got to, you know, really make sure they know that we care. So you sit down, you smile, you palpate the rash. Uh, you ask them a few questions, and you know I didn't realize how important touching a patient's skin was until one day I'm in clinic, and I'm checking out this lady with psoriasis, and I'm like, oh, this is some great psoriasis. I'm touching her skin, and she starts crying, and I say, why are you crying, dear? And she says, you're the first person to touch my skin in five years, and I was just taken back by that, so. Whenever I see a patient with psoriasis or any skin disease, touch their skin. Don't be afraid of your patients. It's so, you know, good for them and good for your relationship with them. If they're concerned about a particular spot, even though you can see across the room, this is a seborrheic keratosis, this is nothing to worry about, just bust out your derm scope, bust out a magnifying glass, whatever. You can get behind them, close your eyes, and oh, that looks great as long as they think you did a thorough inspection, right? You wanna, you wanna make sure that they feel good about what you did. And of course, some nice questions like, your previous treatments must have been very frustrating. Of course they were. If they weren't frustrating, they would've used their medication, they would've got better, they wouldn't be in your office. So you already know this, but you ask, you wanna empathize, you wanna look supportive and caring. And I think, uh, you know, in dermatology, we have a lot of psychosocial issues. Clearly, these are chronic diseases that we're not curing. So use your support groups. I think they're so important. National Psoriasis Foundation, Alopecia Areata Foundation, et cetera. 
are very good to refer your patients to. Education, written instructions, we talked a little bit about avoiding the word steroid. Set realistic expectations. You know, this is particularly important in dermatology and uh, with doing dermatology in America and the wanting instant gratification, you can say, yes, we're gonna get you better in a week or two, but you're not gonna be clear, no way. You look at the studies, they're X, Y, and Z long months. This is what you want to say. Say, here's our goal, buy here, this is what we're looking for. And they can better appreciate that instead of just having some unrealistic goal of I need to be better tomorrow or all oh, this is a lifelong treatment that I can't do. And uh, so just you know, set realistic, realistic expectations. Educate your patients about their disease and the, the treatment process. Good data on this. This is an atopic dermatitis school, and uh, they looked at patient um, satisfaction, adherence, and outcomes. And of course, you know the, the education does improve their adherence and their outcomes. Well, what a shock. Uh, written action plan. This is something that uh, we did at Wake Forest, a little written handout information on eczema. Tells a little bit about what is atopic dermatitis and how do you treat it and what to put where and what to do if you flare and uh, what to do when you're calm and you, your disease is not active and when's your next follow-up. I think these are good. They also have uh, other ones on, uh, I think, uh, derm101.com is one of the places I go to that I have little print handout information for atopic dermatitis and, and acne and all those sorts of things are really great. So you give them the prescriptions, but then you also give them this little handout and says, okay, I, gave, I just gave you prescriptions for this. You're now gonna put the medicine here or here for rash. When you don't have a rash, you don't use the medicine, and as simple as that. Vehicle selection, we talked a little bit about, you know, again, improving their control over the, their own care. Again, you wanna give them the tools and say it's on you to use the medicine, but give them something that they actually wanna use. We have so many different vehicles in, in dermatology, nice ones and really craptacular ones. Uh, we, we've looked at this time and again in, at, at Wake, um, ease of application, how well is it uh, absorbed, how's it feel, how's it smell, does it stain your clothes? Uh, one of the studies on psoriasis, you know, psoriasis patients tended to favor the foam and solution vehicles over the cream gel and ointment, uh, which is what you know, what a shock. I mean, greasy ointments. But we're taught in dermatology that ointment is the right vehicle. Ointment is the more effective vehicle. Why? Because it hydrates the skin, and that's what you need. You need to hydrate that psoriasis. Well. Methotrexate does not hydrate the skin one single bit, and it's pretty darn effective. So the, this need to you know hydrate the skin with ointment is a bunch of bunk. Um, same thing with atopic dermatitis. You know they wanted the hydrogel this, uh, versus the um, ointments and creams as well. And uh, so you know give your patient what, what they want, which is the right one the one they want. If they don't like it, you give them that ointment and they go home and they're like, I ain't putting this greasy thing on, it's not gonna be effective, right? Shorten that, shorten that length of uh, treatment or at least apparent length of treatment, you know, because these are chronic diseases. We saw, we, you know, patients stop using their medication over time. Use more frequent visits, at least initially. Use this thing called the three-day challenge. This is a good one that I like from Dr. Feldman. He says, just use this medication for three days. And you call me on my cell phone. 
most of the time they don't call, but at least, you know, they, they do use the medication. Sometimes he'll even send back in a one-week follow-up or, or two-week follow-up and, and use a nice high-potency uh, steroid to get them, you know, better, quicker. And what do you have from that little three-day challenge? Well, you know, it starts to work. You have a proof of, they might not be clear, but you have proof of efficacy, which leads to a little bit of trust. Like, okay, he gave me something that works, better satisfaction, better adherence over the long term, better outcomes, right? So we tried to put our money where our mouth was. This is a desinide hydrogel study on atopic dermatitis. We uh, took a low-potency uh, corticosteroid. We uh, gave him a follow-up phone call at day three. We also had them come back at weeks one, two, and four, and of course measured their adherence using both diaries and the MEMS caps. And of course, we never tell patients specifically that we're monitoring their adherence with the MEMS caps. I mean, we wouldn't want to bias their, their adherence uh, falsely. Uh, we just say we're monitoring your adherence. We don't say how, we're just monitoring your adherence. And this is how they did. Uh, so of course, top line, this is what they said they did. Yes, doctor, I used the medicine. What did they actually do? Okay, well, this doesn't look like we did much progress, right? Well, actually, we did. This black line, that's that study from the real-world patients. So you can see that we did actually prevent that huge drop-off at day three from with that phone call. And while it did downslope, you know, it, way above adherence of that other study, and who knows, maybe it's just because they got a little bit better. They actually... And, and uh, actually, I did publish another paper comparing these two studies, and this group of kiddos did actually have better outcomes and improvement easy scores. And hey, if your eczema is clear, why do you need to use the medicine, right? So uh, again, vehicle selection, you don't always need an ointment to improve atopic dermatitis, shorten up that follow time, less scary medicine with a low-potency steroid. A lot of people think, oh, just because he has severe disease, he needs uh, a more strong medicine. You really don't. We did another st study in atopic dermatitis. This was kiddos um, with atopic dermatitis who we gave uh, tacrolimus or protopic ointment to, said use it twice a day. One group we said come back in four weeks. The other group we said come back in one and four weeks. Well, what a shock. The group that had an extra visit did a little bit better with using the medicine. So let's see, other skin diseases. We talked about psoriasis. We talked about e eczema. What about acne? So, of course, we had to look at an acne as well. Teens with acne, we gave them benzoyl peroxide, told them to use it just, just once a day. Oh, unfortunately, only 11 of these 19 returned for follow-up, and um, this is how they use the medicine. You know, again, time and again, we see this. What a shock. They start off using it really well. Still not 100%, but really well, and then it tapers off over time, but all the way down, and this is only six weeks. Six weeks, you're already down to 30%. I suspect this is even lower, because remember, eight of those subjects never returned. I'm sure they used it once or twice and said, I'm done with this trial. So other ways to improve adherence, simplifying treatment. I'm a big fan of this, as we talked about with the scalp psoriasis uh, treatment regimens. I like these combination products that they have more than one active ingredient in them. Uh, they are more expensive, but they do increase compliance, I think. We, of course, had to test it took uh, tretinoin plus clindamycin gel versus Ziana, which is the combo gel. Once daily application of that, which meant, of course, the one group had to apply one application of tretinoin, one application of clinda versus the other group just applied the Ziana. And, well, how did they do? 
What a shock. They uh, did a lot better than the twice daily application. And actually, you know, if you look down here on the twice daily application, they were barely using the medicine at all. Other interventions for improving teens' adherence to uh, medication and acne. This was a really fun study. Uh, this was teens with acne, gave them a dapoline gel, said come back at six weeks and 12 weeks. We had four groups. One group, that's all we said. We said come back in, in six and 12 weeks and we'll see how things go. The other group, we said we want to see you back at weeks one, two, four, six, eight, and 12, frequent visit group, right? Uh, and then another group, we said we'll call you each day just to make sure you're using the medication, see how you're doing. And the other one we said, parents, we're going to call you and, and have you remind your kid to use the medicine each day. And uh, I'm sure you all can guess which one did the best, but can you guess which one did the worst? Yeah, so in the green, that's the frequent visits group. Of course, they did fantastic, better than the control, which is in the black. And then you see in the red, this is the parents. So doing worse than doing nothing at all. If you did nothing at all, they would have done better, but you told the parents to use it, and they just said, heck no, I'm not using this medicine. Well, this is not a surprise, right? This is oppositional defiant behavior in teenagers. But now we have, you know, documented evidence of it in medicine. This is great. This is fantastic. Unfortunately, evidently, they perceived some of our study staff in a similar way and uh, did not have that kind of outcomes, which I would have liked. Uh, so what else can we do? I mean, so the only thing so far that seemed to help was the frequent visits, right? As far as some of our studies and, and the vehicles. Well, here's a sneak peek at a study that recently completed and is uh, soon to be published. Uh, 20 teenagers with acne, uh, daily benzyl peroxide gel again, similar to that first study I showed you. And I, I begged the American Acne and Rosacea Society for uh, some money and they said, sure, here's 10,000 bucks, go see what you can do. And so I took that little bit of money and got those 20, got 20 kiddos. One group just said, here's the medicine, see in six and 12, just like that first study. The other group said, here's the medicine, see it's six and 12. And what's your email address? I'm gonna email you each week. So we emailed them this, a little link to an online survey. I essentially asked, you know, how many days did you apply this drug? How easy was it to use? Did you have any interference with your daily routine? Um, you know, how severe is your acne now? Did you have any side effects? And these are all drop-down boxes, so make it nice and quick and easy for the kids, you know. Their, their time is of the essence, and if they wanted to write something, they could write something. And well, of course, we were working on a patent on this whole electronic automation system. Most of this I was doing for my iPhone, actually, um, which is, I love technology. And so how did they do? Well, I don't think you need to be a statistician to see the effect here. Uh, the, the kiddos who had an automated email in their box each week that they clicked on did so much better, fabulous, compared to control. Here's 100% here's compliance. I mean, this is fabulous. And a kid with acne, a teenager of all, with acne, using the medicine that well, just benzyl peroxide, which we all know is not the best medicine for monotherapy, that's fabulous. Uh, and of course, over time, we see that uh, 
adherence was sustained over time. Here's 100%, and this was not statistically significant of a drop. This, of course, was. What a shock, you know, less than 20% usage by week 12. So, you know, you see them for that three-month follow-up. They're not even use, using the medicine, right? So uh, I think this is just really awesome. This is one of those things where you give a patient a medicine, you could get their email and sign them up, and uh, they could get these weekly emails and improve their adherence, improve their outcomes, and make you look better, and you didn't even do anything. So what's next? Well, I, I've been informed that I'm getting very old, and teenagers no longer use email. They use text messaging, and uh, I, I should know better. And they're on their phones nonstop. They're not actually talking. They can't, they can't converse. They just text message. Everything's K. No, no period, just K. So we're going to see if we can adapt our new technology to doing text messaging and try to increase their adherence. That'll be fun. Uh, medication adherence competitions. So this has actually been done before in a lot of compliance studies in renal failure patients, getting them to use their medicines as well as HIV. And we used it a little bit in that last study where uh, the kids who were in the internet study, uh, internet survey side, uh, were told that for every time they log on and fill out the survey, they're entered into a chance to win an iPod Nano. So a little extra motivation to, to fill out those surveys. And has anybody read The Freakonomics by Steve Levitt? I think that's just a fabulous book on, on motivations and, and patient, uh, people's behaviors. I guess in summary, uh, how do you get your patients with psoriasis and atopic dermatitis and acne to improve? You get them to use the medicine. Get them to use the medicine. Get them to use the medicine. Any questions? No? Great. Thanks.